Easter is such good news for all people. And so, you know, as a church, we desire to see everyone uh, come to know God. Do you know what I mean? That's the Father's heart. That's our heart. And so it is important for us just to understand this message and go for it. So I'm just going to read. Um, we're going to read the first uh, 12 verses that are probably titled The Resurrection. No surprise in, in your version. Uh, and we'll see where we go. So here we go. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that lives with us by your spirit. And, and right now, as Jim prayed, Lord, we pray that you would awaken us, that we'd fix our eyes on you and be edified in you this wonderful Resurrection Sunday. We ask that in the beautiful name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. He is risen. Amen. Oh, that's a two out of ten. I keep throwing him in. Anyway, uh, I was looking for a little quote and I found this one. So back in 1983, so I'd have been seven, you can work out whatever age you were, but we're going back a lot of time. 1983, John Piper, who's a Baptist uh, pastor in America, he was being interviewed in what was going to become a debate on the radio uh, by an atheist called Dick Pomerantz. And Dick Pomerantz was, was intelligent and quite humorous. And, uh, and as they sat down at the mics, uh, Dick opened up and said morning to the listeners and then said this is Dr. John Piper and my first question to you Dr. Piper is why do you practice voodoo and uh, John Piper a little bit surprised uh, kind of grasped for words and said uh, what do you mean practicing voodoo and Dick Pomerantz said to him you know believing that a man can die and raise again and this can have an effect on people far away that's sort of like sticking pins in dolls in order to hurt someone that's far away. <laughs> and John Piper said he learned a lot in that moment because he suddenly realized that, that when, when you talk about the resurrection of Jesus, which is where Dick was going, that there are two main questions. There's a truth question of did it actually happen? And then there's a meaning question of if so, then what does it mean? <laughs> and actually, the two questions are separate and yet joined. And it's those two questions that I'm going to go after really quickly in about 15 minutes of did it happen and then so what if it really happened? And uh, there are people who reject Christianity because they just genuinely don't think it's true. 
that no matter what evidence is out there, and we'll look at some of it, that's not the case. And there are others who dismiss it totally because they can't see any difference. They can't see any, any reality. It's insignificant to their life because their life is sorted with other bits. And, uh, and so I, I went through very quickly, and I've come up with six of, of, the, of the common reasons, but six that I thought were possibly the ones that affected me, Ben Clark, the most, of why I believe the resurrection really happened. And I'm just going to quickly share the, these six with you. So number one is Jesus' own claim that he would rise from the dead. We just referred to it in Luke's Gospel there. Um, you know, it, was, it was recorded in John and Mark as well. You know, destroy this, this temple and in three days I'll rise it up again. You know, and now hear me. Of course, the fact that Jesus predicted his own resurrection doesn't prove that it actually happened. But it's a pretty big statement to make if it isn't going to happen. Do you know what I mean? You know, and, uh, and let's be honest with that. You know, that people respect Jesus as a man of integrity, a good teacher, a good person. Do you know what I mean? You know, even Gandhi claimed of Jesus that he followed him as a good and moral and upright man. But if he lied about this statement, then is he a good, moral, upright, integral man? Do you know what I mean? You know, the whole thing ha hangs upon the fact that it's hard to honour Jesus uh, uh, as an honest, upright person without taking into account everything he said. And one of the main things he said was he was going to die and rise again. So that's the first place I came to. The second one, um, won't surprise you, is the fact that there was an empty tomb and no one was able to produce a body. Now, now, this one amuses me, so I'm probably going to get a little bit carried away and 15 minutes will drag over. But, um, but, but history, enemies of Jesus, Jesus' friends, allies, anyone else, no one's ever produced this dead body, even, even now. You know, in, and if they had, that would have ended the Christian movement right overnight. So all those who are trying to snuff it out, basically, the easiest way to do it would be to say, well, look, there he is, he's dead. Do you know what I mean? You know, unwrap him, do whatever else, end of. Never happened. So then clever people came up with different theories. And this is where Jim and I love some of these. You know, the, 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 the popular one uh, going around at the moment is that basically people are saying that Jesus actually never died. <laughs> it's called the swoon theory, if you fancy reading it. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I'm not completely with it. Because basically what this says is that after 24 hours of torture, after having nails whacked through your hands and feet, a spear shoved in a side, and all of this done by an execution squad who are trained in this, do you know what I mean? That, that, that somehow Jesus faked it. And then when he was taken down, having you know, just covered all that off and pretend he's not dead, he was put in a tomb, and the coolness of the tomb revived him to such an extent that he was able to get up, come out of the grave clothes, move a great big rock, and sneak past all the guards and, and, and have it away. And, um, yeah, not an Oscar performance, I'll leave it there. Um, other, other reasons why the body was never found um, have been that it was stolen, you know, which is common. Do you know I mean, that did happen in those days, so let's give this a bit of credibility. But the thing we've got to think about, if it was stolen, is who stole it and for what reason? And there's three types of people that, that history repeats. They talk about the disciples, they talk about the guards, and they talk about just general um, sort of thugs and felons grave robbers, which, which were all common. So let's look at those, okay? The disciples, okay? Now, if they were to steal this body, okay? Now, forget how they did it, because I think that's the secondary issue here. They stole it, so they know that Jesus actually died, and this whole Christian lark is a hoax, okay? Because this is where you, you can see where I'm going to go on this. So, so, so forget how, but just the fact they did it, okay? What happened to these guys? 
they were tortured and they died themselves as martyrs, quite horrific deaths. Now, I'm a bit of a coward when it comes to even going to A&E. <laughs> you know, but the thought of going through and giving my life up in excruciating pain for something that was just a joke between me and my mates, it's not really happening for me. Do you know I mean? I don't know about you, but there comes a point where I think, actually, this, is, this isn't funny. <laughs> I need to tell the truth here. And the fact is that those guys went through that. Their lives were laid down <laughs> for the resurrection. That was how much they believed in it. Okay, so I don't think we can go with the disciples. The guards, well, to be honest with you, the guards, they would have had nothing to gain at all. They weren't followers, they weren't fans of Jesus, they weren't uh, in any way connected. Why would they want to steal it? Because if they were found stealing it, obviously, then they were executed because that was the punishment for what they were doing. So there's got to be a motive, you know, we all work for motives. Do you know what I mean? You know, you may not like to admit it, but we're all motivated by something. So what was their motive? Well, there's never been proved there was any money traded. Do you know what I mean? There's never, there was never any promotion or status or anything else. There was just no motive for the guards other than the potential risk of getting caught and losing their own lives. Which leads on to number three, which is a popular one, the grave looters. Okay, but grave looters... Let's be clear here, like the guards would have known that get caught, I'm next in here, which is a pretty big uh, dissuasal, and also the grave wasn't of a wealthy person, it was of a peasant, it was given to him, that was well known, that would have been documented, that would have been the word going around the street, the Twitter, the Snapchat of the time, was that this was, you know, Jesus, a peasant, we just watched him, everything was stripped off him, he didn't even have enough money for a grave, we've had to borrow one, let's stick him in here, I know what, I fancy making myself rich, I'll go and empty an empty cave, do you know what I mean, you know, it's just not going to happen. Do you mean, you know, it may not have been the great train robbery, but people knew that there was very little in there of any significance. Um, so I just don't go with any of the grave robbing or, or swoon theories, but that's me. Uh, number three, one that matters to me a lot, is the dramatic change in the disciples. That Jesus' close friends, you know, if you, if you read the other account, and I, I encourage you to do it, I, you know, this afternoon, it looks like a lovely sunny day, get yourself a nice coffee, something else, sit in the sun and just read it and ask God. But, but the account talks of these people who were, who were petrified, who were hiding away, who were like, whoa, what's happened? Everything we thought was going to be good, he was going to be our Messiah, just it ain't happening, it ain't happening. And then they had this sudden change. That, that after encountering... They're, they're, like, they're like transformed. They're speaking with confidence. They're addressing crowds where before they ran. You know, beforehand they were running, wanting to jump in a boat and go off and go fishing again. I'm just going to go back to what I do. And you know you've all said that, those of you who have followed Jesus for a while as well. So don't be too harsh on them. But, they, but you know, that was their default. Oh, it's all gone a bit pants. I'm just going to go and back to my trade. Do you know what I mean? And then they, after the resurrection, they're like telling whole towns, whole cities. They're proclaiming that, as we said earlier, they're going to die for this. Do you know what I mean? That, that's quite a change. Do you know what I mean? And I know in our, in our society, things change, but I just think that's hugely powerful, you know, that they would go there. Number four is linked to that, that there were numerous eyewitnesses. I think one of the things we forget is that we, we, we try to think of this crucifixion as, you know, three crosses and maybe a couple of people watching. 
Do you know what I mean? You know, and then when Jesus is risen again, do you know what I mean? You know, maybe he just sort of kind of rises in a nice little cubicle somewhere and just, no, you know, Paul, who we know is a, was an apostle, uh, followed Jesus, had persecuted uh, Christians and then chose to follow him. He wrote this to the church in Corinth, to some very sceptical people about this point. He said, uh, this is uh, Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 4 to 6, just so you can check me out. He said, Christ was raised on the third day. He appeared, he appeared to Caiaphas, Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. You know, we're not talking one or two here, most of whom are still alive. So Paul's got people arguing, saying it didn't happen. And he's basically saying, look, there's people around who saw this. Do you know what I mean? You know, you know, go talk to them. You don't believe me? Go and ask Bob in the corner shop. He was there. You know, go down to Costa's. Go, go, you, know, go, you know, go and see Veronica. She'll tell you the story. Do you know what I mean? She, would, she wouldn't believe what happened in her story. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was common chat. Do you know what I mean? You know, and, and, you know, this is written 20 or so years after the, the, the crucifixion and resurrection. Do you know what I mean? You know, there are people alive. And surely, if it was all a big hoax, there'd be more made up. Rather than saying, you know, if Paul wanted to argue his case, he'd just say, right, well, let's keep it quiet, lads. No, he doesn't. He says, go and speak. There's more than, more than 500 people just in this one setting. Go and sort it out for yourselves. Go and chat. And to me, that's really freeing because you've got to be really confident of something to tell people to go and research it. You know, it's not hidden by the back door or anything. Uh, which leads into number five, which is one of my favourites. Uh, I've put the integrity and reliability of the witnesses. You know, when you and I are trying to make a decision on anything, uh, one of the things we do is we try to suss out the kind of where it's coming from. You know, whether that be uh, a blog or Google or a work situation. Do you mean you're trying to get a little bit behind the scenes and just think, is he winding me up or is he not? What do I know about this person? You know, if it's Jim, I'm, I'm trying to work it out a lot. <laughs> you know, and vice versa. You know, you know, I've got people at work who I call them like the poker face. Do you know I mean you just don't know what's going on and you're trying to work it out and you know how they roll and 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 you're just trying to unpick it all. And, uh, and I think that, you know, what we've got to say is the New Testament writers en masse, because it's not just one, along with the credible witnesses, which Paul's referred to, do you know what I mean? There's a lot of evidence there that if they're going to pull off some sort of global deceit for the rest of eternity, they must have been really, really working really tightly, or it was true. And given they didn't get a lot of time to work really tightly, and they probably didn't have things like Dropbox and G Drive and OneDrive where they could sync all their brains and thinking, which we have in today's society, you start to think that there's a huge amount of credibility in their witnesses. And I would also say that others have argued, well, what about the integrity of the people who have argued that it didn't rise? I'd say, I'd say there's no difference. Do you mean you can't say, well, I, I believe in this modern atheist in 2019 over this first century uh, believer because actually I would say both are equally credible if not more the first century person who couldn't have had the information to make it up and do the hindsight it's always easier to write something in hindsight isn't it than do it originally it's why we don't have many original ideas I'm still waiting for mine and I've been waiting 43 years <laughs> don't laugh Mark that's not nice <laughs> you know but 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 it's true isn't it you know you know getting the original stuff is, is much harder than, than rehashing it and the last one for me, uh, I think, is the life-changing power of Christ today. 
you know, that one of the things that wins me over every time is rooms such as this, where you meet people who have had their lives totally changed. You know, I, I know what I was like uh, back in the 90s, <laughs> you know, and I know what God did in me. You know, I was talking with Jim at the Walk of Witness on Friday, you know, uh, and he's got his little track, Turning Point. And I thought, yeah, Jimmy, and we were talking about another mutual friend he'd had, or a friend he'd had, who again, life had changed. You know, that we know people who lived a certain way and are, and are changed. You know, you know them in your life group if you're part of God Central. You probably had tea, coffee, uh, you've been to Beer Central, whatever else with them. Do you know what I mean? You know, that Jesus changes us. That the, the, the things that once drew us don't. And I think that for me, you know, the last one is massive to me. Because it means that Jesus is still risen, he's still reigning, and he's still changing lives. You know, and it's an absolute joy for us, you know, to be part of that, you know, to be seeing people come to know our risen and reigning Christ. And if you don't know him here this morning, you know, you can see where I'm going. Please investigate it and there will be an opportunity for us to pray coming up at the end. But there's six reasons for me where I really seriously take the biblical claims that Jesus is resurrected. And coming in to answer the second question, so what does that mean? <laughs> I didn't know where to start on this one. Uh, and so I thought I'd get rid of a, one myth here that loads that I think is I think was probably instigated a lot by the Simpsons, <laughs> much as I like the Simpsons, but there's a myth, yeah, that that God needs sandal wearing, you know, cringy people. Okay? And I want to get rid of it. That God does not need you in sandals, you with a beard. He does not need morally upright people. Neither does he need young, trendy teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Let me just cover you all off. Do you know what I mean? You know, that the God of the universe has no needs because he's God. Yeah? You know, if you don't believe me, I want to quote this from scripture. So, uh, Luke, who, Dr. Luke, who wrote Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, in chapter 17, verses 24 and 25, he said this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. You know, you know we, God is high above us. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's the almighty king of kings. And he cannot be served because he has no deficiencies that need serving. He's God. We're not. You know, the same can be said of us. You know, that God has the resources. We have the needs. Not the other way around. And I think one of the myths is that we kind of think, well, if we do this, we're going to help God. No, no, no. He's God. <laughs> we're not. We have deficiencies. He has infinite power and wisdom. He wants to engage with every single person who will choose him. And that sets the God of the Bible aside from other gods, past, present, and future. You know, Isaiah, one of my favorite prophets back in the Old Testament, if you know your Bible, Isaiah 64 verse 4 says this, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who works and waits for those who love him. Do you mean that God is for us? Because we have deficiencies. <laughs> you know, that out of his completeness, he comes to fill us, to make Ben Clark slightly better. 
And he's got a lot of work to do because there's a lot of me needs fixing. And put yourself in there and look at yourselves in a mirror. That we are imperfect. He is perfect. You know, the, the Christian gospel is not a help wanted sign. I was going to get a sign and I thought that would be going overkill. You know, it's not like, you know, God's saying I need some help. Please come and help me. No, God is not looking for labour. He's looking for a people who will magnify his power and wisdom by admitting their needs and letting him work through us. You know, the essence of Christianity. Jesus himself was asked, you know, why, son of God, did you come to earth? And his answer, Mark 10, 45, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. I've got a... Next slide, if Dio's... Oh, no, it's gone. But Jesus didn't come to recruit you to meet his needs. I was thinking a lot this week about uh, sport. And I thought, you know, in sport, coaches travel the world to try and find different players, different people to build it. Same in business and other things. You know, God did not come to recruit like a football coach travels around begging people to come on his or her team. You know, God has no needs. Jesus came to bring you the resources of God to meet your needs. He died to meet your needs. He rose to meet your needs. He reigns to meet your needs. And make you happy in him forever. And that's the quiet bit. He reigns to meet your needs and make you happy in him forever. Because I'm going to be brutally clear at the end of a message that, yes, you and I have needs this morning. But, but our most pressing needs are not financial, no matter how much of a mess we're in. Our health needs, no matter how much of a mess we're in. Nor vocational needs, no matter how tough things are in the workplace. Nor family needs, no matter how strained and things are there. And as much as those things are heart-wrenching and very true, they are not our greatest needs. Our greatest needs are to be made right before the maker of ourselves. To be made right with the God of all time. The God of the universe. And that can only happen, according to the Bible, because Jesus died and made a way. That there, there is a no greater need than us to be right with our creator. And our second need is to overcome death. And at the moment, Jesus offers that freely to all of us. The statistics on death are pretty brutal. That one in one person dies. Do you know what I mean? It is coming. You know, these beautiful bodies that we look on, they are temporal. Do you know what I mean? But he is eternal. And when he rose from the grave, he offered us forgiveness of sins and eternal life with him. You know, 1 Peter says, Christ died once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That Jesus without sin, you know, he did no wrong, died in my place, in your place, the death that we should have died, <laughs> so that we could be made right with the God of all time. Our debt is paid. The penalty is gone. The curse lifted. The servant king has done that for us. The lamb that was slain is now the roaring lion of all time the one who was and is and is to come still rules still reigns and still makes it possible for us to engage with him and he offers us the chance to choose to follow him it's a gift it's not earned it's not a reward 
You know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, you know, For it is by grace you have been saved, not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God does not need us. We have needs. He has the answer. And the forgiveness of our sins, no matter what we've done, is there paid on the cross. It's not, but I did, but I did, but I did. He knows that and he beckons you afresh. He knows that and he beckons you afresh. You know, today, his eyes run around the world looking for those who would choose to follow him. Those who would come and worship him. Those who would invest their lives in him. Why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ so precious to me? Because it's everything to me. That's being honest. I love, I love being here. I love you guys. But Jesus got me out of the, the hole I was in, where I had done measurable things for myself, where I'd not really cared about things. And he gave me a new hope and a new future. You know, the, the things of this earth, as Jim, Jim mentioned, mentioned this, you know, they will pass into what? Into glory with him. Into communion with, with our God forevermore. Into a place where things are made right. Into a place where there are no more tears. Into a place where the streets are paved with gold. Where, where we learn to fix our eyes on God. Morning, noon and night. Where, where we're consumed in a different place. That we have, we have a life that goes beyond the grave. And how do you do this? I was once asked. Well, I always quote Romans 10 verse 9 because I'm not very good at my own words. But Paul said this. He said, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's pretty simple. (laughs) I think sometimes we try to confuse things. I mean, certainly men, we like to get an instruction manual, not look at it, and then make the thing ten times harder. I think to some extent, God's just done this. He just said, look, tomb's empty. My son is risen and reigning. Your choice, if you say he's Lord and really mean it in your heart, you're with me. Simple as that. Simple as that. Sins blotted away. Receive the Holy Spirit as confirmation of that. The assurance from God of everlasting life. The assurance that, that we get to live for his glory in this temporal existence. And knowing that he will work everything to, for the good in him. And so I want to close by, by praying for two groups of people. And uh, it's really simple. I want to pray for those who don't know Jesus or are on a journey with Jesus. And I want to pray for those who know Jesus but want to follow him better. Because I think most of us would fit probably in one of those two categories. Um, and so if we could just be respectful and just uh, close our eyes, we're just going to pray. Simple prayer, no more. And then the kids, they've been doing a similar thing, which I'll come on to in a minute. They're going to come back and we're going to have a great time together. But for those of us this morning, I just want to give that brutal moment of pausing and saying, look, if, you, if, you're, if you're wondering, what am I doing here in Pembley Academy? <laughs> what am I doing wherever? You know, if you've been away from God or you've not chosen him, he says to you this morning, Come on, put your trust in me. Give it a go. And I want to challenge you to do the same. So if, you, if you've never followed God before, what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And if, and if 
if this applies to you, you can just say the words quietly back in your heart that I say, and then we can have a chat afterwards. Don't expect miracles. It's just the way God works. Father God, I choose to trust in you. I know I've done things that are wrong, and I know that you have made a way. I thank you that Jesus died in my place. I choose to follow you. I pray that you would help me do this. Holy Spirit, would you come into me and guide me? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And for the second part, for those of us who, yeah, just know Jesus and want to follow him better, I think, I just want to pause this one. I just think maybe some of you, it's that Easter moment, isn't it? You know, it's the new life, the new challenge. It's like, okay, God, where am I at? You know, I'm X years old. I'm in this situation. God, come on, reveal more of you to me. Use me in this way or that way. Just want to give it a pause for you to just do a little bit of work with God, just quietly, inwardly, you know, and, and then we'll just pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon us, that he would use us individually and corporally, mightily for his name. Yeah, Father God, for myself and brothers and sisters here, Lord, firstly, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you died to forgive our sins and give us eternal life. And Father, thank you also that nothing happens by chance, that we are here as part of your plan. And so, great God, I pray for each of us who are just reviewing and feeling challenged by you, Lord, that you would come and meet us, that you would give us fresh faith, that you would give us a fresh feeling of your Holy Spirit, that you would, yeah, use us afresh for the plans you have for us, Lord. Father, I thank you that you made every single one of us, I think this is important for some people, and you made us perfect in your sight, that where, where we might see we have deficiencies, where the world might say we have deficiencies, whether they be intellect, health or whatever, you know, you made us and, and we are the apple of your eye and you delight over us. And so, God, we pray, would you fill us afresh? Would you lead us out in great power, Lord? May our lives be as dramatically transformed as the early disciples, where we turn Harlow upside down for the glory of your name, Father. Would you be with us? Would you catch us up in dreams? Would you give us words, give us iron sharpening iron over refreshments and hot cross buns in a minute, Father, for the glory of your name? We ask that. Amen. Amen.